630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Dave Tippett's final record with the Edmonton Oilers, 95-62 and 14 points percentage of 596. But he is out. Jim Playfair also let go today, and it is Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson coming up from the Bakersfield Condors. Woodcroft will be the coach for the rest of the season, and then they'll go from there. That's what Ken Holland said today. Glenn Gullitson and Brian Wiseman remain on the coaching staff. Uh, side note, uh, Holland was asked today if he ever considered uh, Mike Babcock, who's currently at the U of S and uh, Holland basically said it was between Gulletson already on the staff, been a head coach before and Woodcroft. And it is indeed Woodcroft that gets the call. Yeah. What a day. What a day. Uh, we've obviously been through this a few times in uh, the last decade or so here in oil country. And to discuss that and more, we welcome back to the show, Craig McTavish, courtesy Avalon foundation repair, Western Canada's leading basement waterproofing company for over 50 years, home of the lifetime warranty. Well, Mac T. (laughs) Where do we begin in the last 10 years? uh, Reed, is that, uh, is that correct? That's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, eight coaches uh, for Nuge, uh, I believe, uh, if you want to use that as a timeline. Um, okay. Yeah. Look, let, wow. let, I'll, I'll start, I'll start yeah. here with you. And, and uh, I, I mean, you always answer as much as you're comfortable or not comfortable saying, but I think i got to ask the question. You sure. went through this as a general manager, as Ken Holland did today. Um, w- like, what eventually got you to that point? With, with Dallas and 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 how do you have that conversation with a guy letting him know that yeah. it's time to go? Well, I mean the the first guy I let go was Ralph when I was named GM, and yep. uh, that that was I just felt we needed a younger voice and uh, we needed a little uh, uh, shock treatment to the group. Uh, I really respected Dallas uh, as a guy that. Uh, whose voice would resonate with, uh, with those, uh, young players that we had. Uh, and then when I let Dallas go, that was, you know, completely for different reasons. It was, I mean, I knew Dallas wasn't going to survive it long-term. It was pretty much near the end of the year. There were a couple months left at the most. And, uh, you know, the, I just saw that guy, he poured his heart into everything he did. And uh, it was really grating on him. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was torturous. Our team just was nowhere near good enough. It certainly wasn't uh, the coach's fault in that instance. I wasn't blaming Dallas, uh, as Kenny was not blaming uh, Tip today. Uh, But it was more, uh, more for Dallas, really, than anybody else, just to... uh, you know, release him from the from the the responsibility, because the coach nobody takes the losses harder than the coach, and I've told you that before in some of the other shows that we've done. And uh, you know, the thing about playing as opposed to coaching is, as a player, you can take some satisfaction out of a game that you lose, where you've played well, you've uh, laid it on the line. You've done what you needed to do for your team. So you can feel okay about yourself 
as a player after a loss. You can get some satisfaction, self-satisfaction out of that. As a coach, you can. It's all result-oriented. I mean, you can play well and lose, and I guess you feel a little bit better, but it's all result-oriented. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always difficult. One thing that we've known uh, through history and all these coaching changes that have happened over the last number of years, and not just with us here in Edmonton, but around the league, that it seldom is the coach that's responsible for the performance level of the team. I mean, these things seldom, seldom work. But on occasion, there are significant changes. And I think, uh, you know, in listening to Kenny today and uh, uh, trying to understand uh, the motivation there, I mean, I, I think something uh, needed to be done. And uh, he, he went uh, to bat for uh, tip you know, maybe a month ago or a few weeks ago. And generally there's only one of those in, in, in the coaching business, but uh, you know, it's a tough day for, for everybody because, you know, these are, these are really, he's a really good coach. And uh, I mean, he did a lot of great things here over the tenure that he was here. I give Jimmy Playfair a lot of credit for how he handled and developed Darnell nurse. So, I mean, but it's coaching. You're defined by your shortcomings. I mean, <laughs> it's it's just the way it is. And uh, there's always been a fundamental problem for coaches, and that is it's extremely tough to do. And you have to have a significant skill set to come close to an NHL head coaching job. And But all those skills are... Uh, really taken for granted and you're defined by your shortcomings. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really tough to do and it's really easy to criticize because you normally criticize in hindsight and it's just, it's, it's the way it's always been and it'll continue to be there, but it is a fundamental problem for the coaches. Yeah, well, and and as you know, I've been talking about it a lot the last couple of months, uh, Rob and I after games, Lots of calls from people, and I'm going to open up the phone lines after 7 o'clock, uh, and I know I'm going to hear a lot of different perspectives. So, but, but you did use an interesting phrase, a coach is defined by his shortcomings. And, and, I, and I know you got a lot of respect for Tip, and, and so do I, but were there some shortcomings or something about Tip's approach that you felt you know, had become a shortcoming or, or just that it appeared to you wasn't getting through to the team or translating on the ice? Well, I, I just think it, the ultimate thing that uh, was his undoing was the inconsistency of the group. They looked so good for so long. And then, as Kenny said today in his press conference, th- there were a lot of, uh, you know, reasons for, for for the slide. I mean, the team wasn't healthy. The team's not that deep. You and I have talked about that before. So injuries, uh, COVID-related uh, absences, they have a real significant effect on uh, on the t- on the team, and then if the goalie's off a little bit, then, I mean, all those things played a huge part uh, for for the uh, for the slides, and didn't didn't you know? I I never really attributed any of that to the coaching staff. So then we got healthy and uh, went on a run. There was a lot of optimism coming through the. Uh, 
the all-star game. I, I, I was on board. I thought the team was playing well. I liked the makeup of the team. And, uh, you know, the last two games were, were, uh, were, were not good. And, uh, I mean, do I blame that on the coaching staff and tip? No, because it's a collaborative effort that goes out that gate every night. But there were things that, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that, uh, that uh, didn't go well from, from uh, a defensive standpoint. And, you know, we didn't have, we, we hit, what, eight posts in the last two games. I mean, we're a long way away from winning in both those games, it looked like, but that would have helped. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the odd man rushes and stuff like that, it's all the same. As Kenny said very appropriately today, there'll be somebody here 20 years from now saying the exact same thing. The verbiage and the dialogue will be a little bit different, but it'll be the same issues and it's always the same issues in hockey it doesn't matter whether you're coaching peewees or you're coaching uh, nhl players it's the same mistakes made in the same critical areas of the game at the same critical times that are going to be your undoing and uh you know the last two games after all that optimism coming out at home and i was fearful of the chicago game because i knew uh our team the oilers would be tight obviously because there was a lot of pressure on them and uh chicago's coming in pretty loose and they're kind of out of it and they're dangerous enough and then uh we gave them a bunch of a, a bunch of chances and odd man chances and you know i thought mike smith played played well and uh they beat him uh, four times both nights so I mean, I, I, I enjoy your perspective on that. Um, you, you did mention the odd man rushes, and that's been going on for a while. Certainly, Rob and I have talked about that. I mean, even even some of the games the Oilers have won, it's maybe been a ratio of three to one odd man rushes against the Oilers. Yeah. Like, what what do you see that is, is causing those to happen so frequently? Well, the rush goals are and I'm going to generalize here, not specific to the Oilers. The rush goals are normally caused and they emanate out of uh, the offensive zone for the Oilers. And uh, when you, you, you when you burn three forwards and they're chasing the play back through the neutral zone, then the neutral zone obviously opens up and there's a lot of 100-foot uh, diagonal lateral passes that are made in those instances and they're tough to defend for defensemen. They've got to move over and that spreads them out and then they get an opportunity off the rush. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not telling, I, I wouldn't be, Dave Tippett would be listening to this and uh, it's it's nothing that he doesn't know. I can guarantee you that. Uh, and I'm sure he's pointed that out. Uh, but it's, it requires discipline, especially from your third forward, that uh, you can't be chasing the puck back. And it's the old Jacques Lemaire saying when when I was doing uh, a coach's clinic with him, uh, with some, uh, some uh, coaches at the draft, he said, you know, one thing you got to remember is there's two nets and they're both equally important. And we get a little horny on the offensive side at times because we are pretty prolific at scoring and uh, 
you know, sometimes we don't give the adequate amount of attention to the other net. And then, you know, Mike Smith's hung out and uh, Miko gets uh, hung out a bit. At least that's what's happened the last couple games. Yeah. So... Then if then if you're Jay Woodcroft going in, and I and I think you're seeing what a lot of us are, are seeing, do you like how does he how does he address that? Like that does that need to be immediately set as it's like, okay, like that's that's the standard, or are there drills to instill it without maybe hammering it directly in? Like how do you because clearly that message needs to get in there that the both the nets are equally important. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of practice time. And uh, the one thing about playing in the NHL is there's less and less practice time. So there's not a, not, and that's a significant tool a coach has to try and change strategy is, is practice. And I was always of the belief that it's very hard to change something technically without physically going out on the ice and showing the team and 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 uh, practicing the tactic with the team because you can explain it as perfectly clear to the coach tip and who's ever explaining it but it's never quite absorbed to that level with the players it's never quite as clear to the players till you get out there on the ice and there's no real practice time uh, to to do this but you know it really starts. I think with uh, your leaders, they have to uh, sacrifice and it has to be obvious that they are giving themselves up on an offensive play. And I mean, the thing about hockey is, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so if you're a little bit tentative and you have hold Connor back, if he's a third guy or, you hold Nuge back or you hold Leon back or you hold Zach back, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose a little bit of, uh, of your offensive impetus. And, uh, but what you lose there, you'll gain in the other, in the other end. And I always thought that good teams, if, if you're going to be a championship caliber team, you, you have to be able to win a game one, nothing. And because the offense is fickle and the offense has been fickle for us the last couple games too, it comes and it goes, you get bad breaks, you run into hot goaltending and the offense is fickle, but the defense is there for you every night. If, if you, if you, uh, if you choose to take it and uh, it's all, you know, critical decision-making by the players at high speed, uh, you know, and, and situations change. Like if you're down a couple goals, yeah, you got to be more aggressive. It's if it's in the third period. So the dials on the more aggressive side. And if you're up a couple goals then you're a little bit more passive, a little bit more careful, but it's managing those decisions takes experience. And uh, to me, it has to be driven by the leaders. The leaders have to be your best example. And, uh, you know, it's really obvious when, uh, you know, when your top players are, uh, are, are, are not going to take a chance as the third guy. If you burn two guys, okay. I mean, that's, that's acceptable. But the third guy, you have to angle check back 
and uh, the the third guy is, you know, you're you're given a pretty significant chance in the other end if 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 you're not right in your angle as a third guy. All right, uh, we're we're just going to take a quick timeout, and then we'll get one more thought from Craig McTavish. He joins us every two weeks here in Inside Sports, courtesy Avalon Foundation Repair, Western Canada's leading basement waterproofing company for over fifty years, home of the lifetime warranty. Back in a couple minutes. Another coaching change for the Oilers, as I'm sure you know by now, Dave Tippett is out. Jay Woodcroft will make his NHL coaching debut, head coaching debut, tomorrow against the New York Islanders. Craig McTavish is on the line here for a couple more minutes. Uh, Craig, again, i got to follow up on a comment you made in your previous remark um, that the, the leaders have to sacrifice some offense and that it has to be obvious that they're doing that. So... Are you seeing that for McDavid and Dreisaitl? And I suppose on another level, Nugent Hopkins and Hyman. Well, I, I think the uh, we, we've fallen behind so much and the terminology that we're hearing way too much is chasing the game. And, you know, th- that, th- that plays a significant role in your decision-making too is your score. And when... When you're a mature team, like I talked about the other night on on the broadcast with Vegas, they have patience. You know, they're, they're they've been there before. They know they're not going to panic when you get down a couple goals. They're not going to come out of their game plan if you're down a couple goals early. They're going to pick away, and they're going to protect that two goal deficit and try and chip away at it. And I think over time. You know, you, you get these lessons, and uh, it's 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 how to win hockey games. You know, it's a very strategic game, and you have to think think strategically to be successful at it. And uh, you know, I think that uh, I think they're they're both capable of uh, thinking more defensively. If that's your question. Yeah, basically that yeah. was my, that yeah. was my, but but I, I I will grant you that when you're always behind one or two nothing, you're thinking like you're probably thinking, well, I'm the second or fifth leading scorer, or whatever in the NHL. I guess I got to do something about it. But it, it, I I wonder if they start scoring first, and maybe that's a big if at this point. How how much that's going to and, and I I mean that's we've talked about that to death, but it keeps happening yeah. against them. It, it generally, to me, the indicators to look for are. The the hundred foot lateral diagonal passes in the neutral zone, and we've seen a lot of that lately, and that's generally a space that should be uh, filled by your forward, your third forward, and then that allows your defenseman to be gapped up, and you confront the rush before it gets dangerous. You confront it at the blue line instead of the tops of the circles where it brings the fourth guy into the rush. Once the deeper that rush gets into the zone, the more dangerous it becomes. And the defenseman, I mean, I don't want to get too technical here, but uh, the defenseman, the first thing you have to do on an odd man rush is identify it. You know, what is it? 
Uh, is it uh, two on two? Is it a three on two? Is it four on two? And then you strategize on how you're going to defend it. But if you see that you're supported and it's an equal numbered rush and you're supported by the forward coming back, then you can be a little bit more aggressive and confront that rush. I mean, that's not specific to the Oilers. That's just the way good teams play. And, uh, you know, it seems like there's uh, there, there's a lot of diagonal lateral passes that I'm sure Dave has talked about tons. Yeah. Okay. Well, some to watch for, Craig. Hey, uh, never a dull moment. Thanks for hopping on the no. show. We'll see you around the rink. Okay, Reed. Thanks. That is Craig McTavish, courtesy Avalon Foundation Repair, Western Canada's leading basement waterproofing company for over 50 years, home of the lifetime warranty. Phone lines are open, 780-496-0063. 630 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.